want you to look in your Bibles this morning, Old Testament passage, 2 Chronicles chapter 26. We read through Chronicles a few weeks ago in our, our church Bible reading. If you need a Bible reading guide, there's one in the back of your chair. I use it every day, an Old and New Testament chapter. We've got an iPhone app. You can pick it up as well. But I've been doing a series in the last few weeks called Dumb and Dumber. Could you say that with me? Dumb, Dumb and Dumber. Now, don't look around when you say that. But Dumb and Dumber... And it's been a series that's kind of couched in the undercurrent of finding God's blessing in your life. But rather than finding people to imitate in the Bible, we're looking at people who did some pretty stupid things and got off track with God, and we don't want to follow them. If if what they did was dumb, that if we repeat their mistake, how many of that would be dumber? You remember we first talked about a man who literally traded his eternal soul for an idol. How many would say that's pretty dumb? Yeah, and the second one we looked at was we looked at a man, it was an Old Testament king, son of Solomon, and he literally lost 90% or more of everything he had, his power, his influence, and his wealth, because he let the wrong people influence him. See, when we look in the Bible, we don't look just for historical accuracy, which we do in doctrine and, and context and those things. We look to apply the Bible in everyday life. And uh, that's what we're looking at this morning. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 26, verse 15, a king, his name was Uzziah. He was a man that God blessed in a pretty incredible way. But let me just read two verses, and then we'll go back to the whole chapter. Uzziah's fame spread far. So think famous. God made this man famous. For he was marvelously helped until he was strong. He was marvelously helped until he was strong, but after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. Now, when you think about that, this scripture basically tells us this man sought the Lord and God made him famous. And when it said he made him strong, it's, it's a way of saying he was wealthy, he was prosperous, uh, he had influence, he had money, life worked well for him. But when he became strong, when these things got on his life and he became powerful, then he lost it all because pride entered his life. So we're going to talk about something from about called pride this this uh, this morning. Pride's a little bit elusive. It's kind of hard to figure out uh, if I've got it, if you've got it, if somebody else has got it. But we're going to explore it today. And I'm going to look at a little quick video. It's from a video clip from a movie called A Beautiful Mind. It's some guys going to an Ivy League college. You can tell they're about 21. Life is together, money, prosperous, and everything. And I think you'll see pride on both sides of the table. And we'll go back to the book of Chronicles. All right, who's next? Guys, letting us go for one day. I I hate this man. Cowards, all of you. None of you rise to meet my challenge? Come on, Bender. Whoever wins, Saul does his laundry all semester. Does that seem unfair to anyone else? Not at all. Look at him. Ash, taking a reverse constitutional. I'm hoping to extract an algorithm to define the movement. Oh. So good. Hey, Nash, I thought you dropped out. You ever gonna go to class? Classes will dull your mind. Destroy the potential for authentic creativity. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Nash is gonna stun us all with his genius. Which is another way of saying he doesn't have the nerve to compete. You scared? Terrified, mortified, petrified, stupefied by you. No starch, pressed and folded. 
Let me ask you something, John. Be my guest, Martin. Under install here correctly completed Alan's proof of Perot's conjecture. Adequate work without innovation. Oh, I'm, I'm flattered. You flattered? Flattered. And I've got two weapons briefs under security review by the DOD. Derivative drivel. But Nash achievements? Zero. I'm a patient man, Martin. Is there an actual question coming? What if you never come up with your original idea? Huh? How will it feel when I'm chosen for Wheeler? And you're not. What if you lose? not have won. I had the first move. My, my play was perfect. The hubris of the defeated. The game is flawed. Gentlemen, the great John Nash. Well, pride was probably on both sides of the table. Pride has an element. The most recognizable part of pride is arrogance. But I'm talking about a more subtler form of pride, pride that takes credit for what we do rather than recognizing God's hand in it. Let me say it again. Pride that takes credit, pride that almost says, I did it without God, pride that says, I, I can be successful and I don't need Him. Whether it's vocalized or not, it's an attitude of our heart. How many know the prettiest girl uh, in the room can look in the mirror and she can say, look at me or look what God did? The strongest weightlifter in the gym, when he puts that, you know what it's like, guys. You go down there and you put the little pin in right here and somebody else comes behind you and they put the pin in down there. Come on, he can either, he can either look at putting the pin in, he can say, look at me, or somehow he can say, look at God. The guy that scores the winning goal can say, look at me or look at God. The business person that lands a great deal, that makes a great investment, can look at this check that biggest he or she has ever gotten and can either say, look what I did or look what God did. You see, pride is something that all of us can fall prey to when we're successful. Success is not bad. Actually, success is a blessing from God. You'll see in the Bible today that God wants all of us to be successful. Success is not the problem. The problem is when pride slips in and we look to ourselves as the source rather than God. So I've entitled the morning's message, The Test of Success, and I think it's going to encourage you this morning and perhaps the Holy Spirit might place His finger on some things that will draw us closer to Christ. Second Chronicles chapter 20, uh, 26, let's go back now and let's look at this story of a man named Uzziah. Uzziah, verse, uh, verse 3, 16 years old when he became king. Now, they didn't, ha didn't have an election like we do today. You became king from lineage or it was inheritance type thing. But I want you to see verses 4 and 5 that were the reason for his vast success, of his power, of his influence. Well, verse 4 holds the key, and I want you to say this with me. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That's the secret and the foundation to success that God blesses. We do what's right. I find it pretty incredible in America today as this latest scandal has enveloped our nation with the IRS. Pretty incredible thing that over 400 organizations and people have been targeted by the IRS because of their, uh, their, their, their views, their ideology. 
I mean, that's a pretty incredible thing. But what's more incredible is no one stood up and said, it's my fault. No one has stood up and said, this is the right thing to do. People have done wrong. It's kind of missing in our society this undercurrent of living in a fashion that's pleasing to God in everything that we do. It's almost like being slippery to get out of things and how to avoid responsibility. But this is a guy that did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And the Bible goes on to say, he sought God during the days of Zechariah who instructed him in the fear of the Lord. So when the Bible says he sought God, it's simply a way of through prayer, through reading the Scripture, obeying the Scripture, of trying to do right in God's sight. It's a way of placing God in the center of our lives, seeking first the kingdom of God. And he did it because of the fear of God. The fear of God is a respect for God. It's an acknowledgement of judgment, of consequences, and is a great reverence and respect to God in, in, in a very small way like we have towards law enforcement. I mean, if you're driving down the road and you see a policeman, uh, as soon as you see the car, what do you do? Take your foot off the gas. Uh, because you're, you're, you realize you, the authority is there and authority has consequences. Well, these three foundational uh, elements of his life, walking in the fear of God, uh, doing what was right, uh, 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 living and seeking, seeking God, gave him success. And this next phrase is huge. I want you to say it with me. As long as he sought the Lord... God gave him success. Now look, if you got so tired last night and you just can't keep your eyes open, you can fall asleep right now. If you would just hold on to that thought. Okay, that was a joke, okay? And I want you to fall asleep. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him, gave him success. Same thing applies today. Now verse 6, it describes his success. He went to war against the Philistines and God helped him. He got victory over his enemies. Verse 8 His fame spread as far as the border of Egypt. So now we've got not only victory against enemies, we've got he's famous. He became very powerful. In verse 10, economically he prospered. He had much. He had people working his fields and his vineyards. So here's a picture of something that reminds us in the Bible is that God wants to bless his people with success. Now listen to this. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3. The scripture says, keep my commands and then you're going to do what? Live a long time, and your life will be successful. Uh, He goes on to say, remember the Lord in all you do, and He'll give you success. Every one of us in this room, from the teenager all the way to the elderly person, we're looking to find success in our home, success in our business, uh, emotional. You know, we want peace in our lives. We just want there to be a sense of wholeness, money to pay our bills, money to have some fun. We want success, good marriage, good family. Well, the Bible tells us God is behind it. Following His ways is key. Deuteronomy 28, 11, the Lord will make you abound in what? How many like some of that? Come on now, you liars. Everybody in this room would. Abound in prosperity. Deuteronomy says that God gives us the ability to obtain wealth. Scripture says, delight yourself in the Lord and what? Yeah, you knew that one. He'll give you the desires of your heart. So God is a good God. He's a father that wants to bless his children. New Testament, 3 John 2. I pray for good fortune in everything you do for your good health that your everyday affairs will prosper. So at kind of a foundational sense at life, even in a broken world, God wants to bless His kids. God wants to cause us to be successful in life. But here's the kicker. God wants us always to remember that He's responsible for our success. God wants us never to forget that He's the one that's behind it all. He's the one that's behind the nice vehicle. He's the one that's behind 
Uh, when you say, what do we, our question today for lunch is not, are we going to eat like much of the world, but where do you want to go? Or what's for dinner, mom? The question is not, am I going to eat? So, but who's behind it all? God is. But because we live in a land of such prosperity that's in, becoming increasingly secular, and this, this false idea that our founders intended that there would be a separation between church and state, which is code for we don't want God involved in our culture. What it produces is a sense that we will take care of you. Man will take care of you. From You ever heard the phrase cradle to grave care? Remember the video in the last election campaign that was targeted towards a young girl that told her every benefit she could receive as a young woman from the government? Now listen, thank God that we have a government that cares for us when we're in need. But the government is not our source. How many know God is our source? You see, God is the one that takes care of us in whatever means that He uses. Well, this dynamic is going, God wants us to be successful, but He just wants us to always know that He's behind it. Now let's see the dumb thing that Uzziah did. Look at verse 15. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped, here's the text, until he became powerful. Until something happened when he was wealthy, famous, influential, powerful, money, everything. When, when he said jump, the question was not if you did, it was only how high you jumped. He got to that place because of God, but then the Bible says, but after he became powerful, his pride did what? God got him there, but he couldn't handle it. And when he didn't realize God's hand behind it, he, he, he slid down the slippery slide. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God. Here's how it manifested. And he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense. Now, what does that mean? Not much to us today. But in Israel's worship, incense was a part of it. Incense was a picture of the prayers of God's people going up to heaven. But the kicker is only the priests could burn incense. There were, only, there were some things that civil government could do and, 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 and civil leaders, but some things that only the spiritual leader could do. But they worked in tandem. And I suggest to you that's what's missing in America today. The problem is not Democrats in control or Republicans in control. The problem is we need godly people, come on, being involved in the affairs of the nation. And, 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 and wherever there are as D's or whatever, listen, a godly person, a godly man, a godly woman, come on, can work together with those that are in civil government, whether it's locally, state level, or national, and we could see America literally turn around. Because God could bring us back to prosperity as a nation in so many ways. But what happened, he went in and he did something he shouldn't do. He lost the fear of God. And he went in to burn the incense. And, of course, the priests were there. You could read this. Stopped him and said, what you're doing is wrong. But look what verse 21. God got involved. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous and banned from the temple of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people. Now, what's that mean? This man became successful he forgot God, pride came in, and he did something he shouldn't do, and for the rest of his life he suffered for it. He got this skin disease of leprosy, and by commandment, he couldn't go in the temple any longer. The center of Jewish life he was excluded from. He couldn't even live with other people. He had to live in a separate house and look out the window every day and watch people going to the banquet with his son and not him. He watched everything he'd worked for. Nobody asked his opinion anymore. It's like he was watching and living in this suffering all because somehow Satan got in. Isn't that why Satan fell? I will be like the Most High. I want to be worshipped. 
something in the heart of man, the, the heart of Lucifer himself, that causes us to kind of take God's place and take God's credit. And it'll knock you out of the game every time it comes, comes up. Now, pride by definition is simply this. Pride says, in this subtle form of pride, says, I don't need God to be successful. I don't need God to be successful. I succeeded without Him. Humility is just the opposite. Humility says, I need God to be successful. I can't succeed without Him. Now, here's the tricky thing. Pride says, I did it on my own. I did it myself. It looks at the diploma on the wall. It looks at the letters behind the name. Come on, you understand what I'm talking about. It looks at the clothes you're wearing and the label on the suit. It looks at the car you're driving. And, and, and kind of without saying a word, there's a feeling that I did this. Now, don't get me wrong. It didn't come through you for nothing. You worked hard. You went to school. But when you forget that God's behind it. And here's the tricky thing for me because I know a preacher can become proud. He can look across the congregation. Come on. He can, he can look at himself on the Internet or on the television. Pride is something all of us struggle with in life. Pride can come to all of us, and pride can knock all of us out. But the, the tricky thing is we don't know when it's happening. Because I guarantee you, if you cared enough about the Lord to come to church on a Sunday, you don't deliberately think in your mind, I did this without God. But maybe it happens this way. For example, take our little concrete parking lot they're working on. What if a guy came up to do the concrete and he's meeting with the person taking the bid and the guy says, hey, can you do this parking lot? I'm a little concerned because of the flow of the building there, if we don't get the water flowing just right, you know, we're going to have a problem. Oh, listen, there's no problem. I can do that. I I've been doing this for 30 years. Look, I've done thousands of parking lots. It's, I, I can take care of it. Now, you may say, if it's telling the truth, it's not bragging, but, but I don't know. Now, if that guy, now, how many know confidence is a good thing? You're going to get a whole lot more bids if you're a salesman, if you convey confidence, than if you, you know, just, well, I just, I just really don't know if I can. I, I think I can. I'm pretty sure I can. I'm not suggesting you speak like that to them, but here's what I am saying. Before you get out of the truck to go talk to the guy on the bid, you say, Lord, I can't do this job without you. You've got a crew of 20 guys out there, and you know they're the best in East Texas. And you look at those guys and say, Lord, these guys can't do a successful job unless you're helping us. Because you're the one that's the source of our success. You understand what I'm saying? You see, and nobody will know that, but you, all you come across is, you know, we can go to church, we can say the right things and do the right things, but what's happening behind the scenes in our life? What happens when that big check comes in our hands? Is at any point have we paused to say, Lord, couldn't do this without you? Maybe you made the big sale and you came back to the office or you got the contract and you come back and everybody's coming up to you and they're patting you on the back and say, man, what a great job. What a great salesman you are. You're the one that's keeping us in business. That can go to your head. How about after they've patted you on the back? And you know, it's not a bad thing to receive people's thanks, but when they shut the door and it's all over, I hope you take just a minute and take that contract and put it in your hand and say, Jesus, they signed this because of you. You're the one that gave me communication ability. Come on, you're the one that let me get the degree. You're the one that gave me the intellect. You see, I don't care if you're, maybe you work with your hands. Maybe, maybe dexterity is essential. Maybe you're a surgeon. Maybe you're a, maybe you, you whatever you do, but, but, but your hands are required to do things. I mean, if you lose the dexterity in your hands, come on, you're on disability. I have a good friend. She was a surgical nurse, and she got arthritis in her hands. And she couldn't do anything. She had to quit the thing that she loved doing the most. And it wasn't because she was prideful or anything, but how many know we're just not aware sometimes of how everything is flowing from God and sometimes it can stop just like that. 
Well, that's what pride can do, subtly to make us believe that we did it without God and we don't need Him to be successful. Now, let me jump ahead here. How can I keep from becoming proud? All of us, certainly, whether you're identified with the movie, a scripture, the Holy Spirit may be speaking to you, none of us want to fall prey to that. None of us want to be like Uzziah, but how can we avoid it? Let me give you some things I think will be helpful to you. How can I pass this test of success? James 4.10 makes it sound pretty easy. Notice the scripture. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and what will He do? He'll lift you up. So, can you say that with me? Humble yourself before the Lord. Stop. How do you do that? Because humility is, is kind of hard for me to understand and grasp. Now, I understand when I bow my heads to pray, how many know that's an act of humility? If you kneel before the Lord in worship, how many know that's an act of humility? But how many know you can do the outward signs and have your heart a million miles away? It's something about the heart. It's hard to put your fingers on. But let me try to maybe make this abstract idea of humbling yourself a little bit more real. Here's, I'm going to give you four points, which, by the way, they'll be on the Internet if you want to pick it up this week. Or if you just bring your iPad to church, we've got the notes already downloaded. You can follow along in the Scripture. But here's the first one. Know who you are and know who God is. Here's what I mean. Know who you are and know who God is. What people forget is they think this is where they are and they don't know where God is. Know who you are. Here's what I mean. John 15, 5. Jesus said this, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches, apart from me you can do nothing. Apart from me you can do nothing. Imagine now a grapevine, a tree, a flower that you cut, you can put it in water and it'll live a day or two, but it's only a matter of time before it dies. Jesus said, apart from me you can't do anything. Acts 17, 28, speaking of Christ, it says, in him we... We live, our life is because of Him. He's the Creator. We move about through life. We progress through life. In Him, we live and move and have our being, which simply means this. Everything I am, everything I have, and everything I'll ever do is because of Jesus. Colossians 1.17, it says, Through Christ, all things are held together. It, when I was in school and you would ask the science teacher, what holds the electron and the protons around the, the, the nucleus of that atom? What keeps it from, you know, kind of spinning as they have to depict the diagram? What makes that happen? Well, the Bible says Jesus is the one that does that. What, what causes gravity to continue its work? Well, the Bible says that Jesus does that. But how often we take these things for granted and forget that God's hand is behind it. For example, when we go to lunch and you're going to get something to eat, where'd that food come from? Come on, now wait a minute. You say, preacher, come on, I could have gone to another church. Everybody knows food comes from the kitchen. Now, come on. Get real, preacher. Well, where did it come from from the kitchen? I can tell you, pastor. If you go to the restaurant, if you go there on Monday, you'll see a Cisco truck or some other truck will come and they'll deliver the food. That's where the food comes from. No, where, where did that truck come from? Well, did that truck maybe come from a big warehouse somewhere? Come on, preacher. I know I've seen it. I've toured the warehouses. Okay, well, where did it come from there? It came from a farm. Well, where did it come from on the farm? Who made it grow? The farmer. I beg to differ with you. Farmers, listen, ultimately can't make food grow any more than a physician 
can heal you. They can foster your healing. But every physician is honest enough to realize that at some point, come on, I'm not the one that's healing. And they say the body is healing itself. Who's behind the healing force in the body? Come on. It is Christ. In Him we live and we move and we have our being. How long has it been since you just went in your house and stopped? Or, or maybe when you get in your car. Have you just stopped to recognize that God is the one that gave you that car? Come on, preacher. You know where cars come from. Come on, the, the car lot. It's what car salesmen do. They give you cars, right? No. That car came from the manufacturer in San Antonio or in Japan, right? Okay, how about the gas? Well, stupid. Our preacher's so stupid. Doesn't he know gas comes from gas stations? Okay, all right. Where'd that gas come from? Preacher, the 18-wheeler drives up to the gas station and puts it in the ground, and I pump it in my car, and I swipe my little card, and that's how I get gas, really. Where'd that come from? Well, the refinery, preacher. Come on, don't you watch television? I mean, don't you know? Well, where does it come? How does it get to the refinery? Well, it comes on a big ship from OPEC. Where did it come from? From OPEC. Well, under the ground, dinosaurs put it there. Now, look, okay, you just got stupid when you told me all this oil comes from dead dinosaurs. God is the one. So every once in a while, don't we just need to stop and think just a second when you're putting gas in the car? When you walk in your house, the HDTV did not come from Sam's. I know, Best Buy, right? Okay. But do you understand what I'm saying? This is the starting place for life. A recognition, the starting place for humility. I don't care how many degrees are on your wall, what the balance is in your checking account, how well your investments are doing, come on, how big your house is or how small it is or it's paid for or not, all these things come from God. And He is God, come on, and I'm not. Give Him a big hand this morning. We're talking about humility. Let me give you a second one, very basic but very profound. Try to put Jesus first in everything you do. What do you mean by that, preacher? Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus saw, and this has to do with an outlook of your life, how we live your life. What role does God have in my life? Jesus saw two brothers, Peter and Andrew, and they're fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me. Can you say that? Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately, what did they do? At a moment in time, their whole life changed. At a moment in time, Jesus Christ became the most important person. And following Him and doing His will became the biggest priority of their life. And I suggest to you, if you and I will have that kind of shift, if we will enlarge the size of the God box. What do you mean by that? The God box has things like, well, I come to church on, on Sunday, and the God box has a couple hours in it. The God box has a few minutes in the morning when I wake up. The God box has a little bit of my money in it. But pretty much outside of that, I, I kind of live my life my way. Maybe the Lord is looking for something different in our lives in terms of our relationship with Him. Imagine if a visitor comes to your house, okay? I'm coming to your house this afternoon. How about that? Linnell and I are going to come visit your house, and the doorbell rings, and you look at the door, and your kids say, It's the preacher! It's the preacher! <laughs> Panic sets in. You say, everybody, get your stuff and throw it in the closet. Lock the kitchen door. And I'm just the preacher. And I come in and, and, and I say, man, you got a pretty house. Why don't you come in and sit in the living room? And you sit on something and it's a baby doll stuffed up under the, the thing there. But that's okay. 
a chair is covered up because it had grape juice spilled on it. I said, well, we're just protecting our furniture. And I said, hey, it's a beautiful house. Can I see the rest of your house? Oh, no. It is not prepared. Now, this is just for some fella. Imagine when you become a Christian. Think about it this way. Jesus knocks on the door of your heart, and he says, can I come in? And you say, sure, Jesus, you can come in the living room. And Jesus walks by the door of the bedroom. Come on, where you know what the bedroom looks like. You know that it's a week's worth of clothes that just hadn't made it yet. Come on, ladies. It's a week's worth of clothes that hadn't made it and the bed hadn't been made. And it's locked. And he's, I'm sorry, Jesus, you just can't get in that room. And he walks down the hall and he points to a closet and he says, what's in there? And you say, ooh, that's where the videos are. You don't want to go in there, Jesus. Is it just possible that the best way to live the Christian life is opening not only the front door, but opening every door? Come on. And not when it's perfect. But standing by the closet and almost dropping your head and saying, Jesus, you know what? I'm kind of ashamed what's in there, but I've not been able to get rid of those, that stuff that's in that closet. But could I just invite you in, come on, to help me do what I know I should do, but I can't do on my own, that let your Holy Spirit come. I'm talking about an outlook of life of following Jesus that is transformational. And if you will allow, give Jesus the keys to every door of your life, I'm telling you, you'll never struggle with pride a day in your life. Come on, give him a big hand. Let me give you another one about humility. Uh, pray the right way. You say, okay, here we go. Pretty simple. If you can pray the right way, how many know you can pray the wrong way? Let me give you an illustration. What if my prayers were like this? I get up in the morning and I say, Oh, God, I need to make some money today. I mean, it's first of the month. It's bill-paying day, and I don't know how they're all going to work out. And, and okay, okay, I look outside. Well, Bethany, she's thinking about going to a discipleship training thing, but we sure do need her here, Lord. And doesn't she just know that she just needs to stay home this summer and just help us out? And, and Lord, I sure wish you'd just hurry up and heal my wife because if she doesn't feel better, I'm going to have to start washing the clothes. And, you know, I don't want to do that, Lord. And that sounds just a little selfish. Is it just possible, though, that sometimes we pray the wrong way? I mean, no, there's a right way and a wrong way to pray. Let me tell you, this is transformational. The disciples asked Jesus, tell us how to pray. Here's what Jesus said, pray like this. Pray, our Father, you know it, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, what does that mean? Not much. Hallowed be thy name. Other translations say, Lord, let your name be holy. Let me illustrate it this way. We did communion this morning, little plastic cups. You got done, maybe they're on the ground, maybe you stepped on them, maybe it spilled a little bit. It was a sacred experience, but kind of that's what it was. If you went to a Catholic church and they had communion, that wouldn't be just juice, it would be real wine. And after everybody was served, whatever was left, the priest would drink it. So I don't know if he estimates the crowd high that day or low, but that's a joke, okay? He would drink it because they believe, now listen, that that wine becomes the blood of Christ. And after he's drank the wine, he takes a clean cloth, a white linen cloth, I think, and, and, and wipes it out. Why is that? Because the whole, the whole experience is viewed as holy. And is it just possible we're sometimes too casual with God? That God wants us to treat us as he is, holy and set apart. That, that, that He is God and, and I'm not. And that's the way I approach Him. The second part of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name. Then what's it say? Lord, hurry up and take care of me. No, it's to say, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
You see, the Christian life is not about me. It's about Him. And it's about living in relation to Him. Let your will be done in earth. And then it says, give me this day what? Daily bread. You see, God wants you to pray for the things in life. He just wants to be first about Him and His priorities in our life. I'm telling you, if you'll pray the right way instead of the wrong way, you'll never struggle with pride because Christ will always be the center of your life. Praise the Lord. Let me give you one more, and then we're going we're gonna to pray. So we're just practically walking in humility, basic Christianity, recognizing who God is and who we are, putting Jesus first, the outlook of our life, praying the right way. And here's an odd one, but it's true. Embrace your weakness. Embrace your weakness. Now listen, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul the Apostle wrote this. Do you realize Paul the Apostle literally had a genuine out-of-body experience, and the Bible says he was taken to the third heaven, which literally means he stood in the presence of God, God himself. Well, here's what he writes about that. Verse 7, he says, To keep me from becoming... To keep me from thinking more highly of myself than I should. To keep me from slowly forgetting that the power in my life is not from me, but it's from God. He said, to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to buffet me. Now, that's hard to get yourself around because we know Satan is evil. Come on. But somehow God would even use this evil attack to foster in humility. Here's another word, dependence. Now, here's what scholars believe. I think this is the best interpretation of what that thorn was. I believe Paul had a problem with his eyes. Now, there's other scriptures that you can see where Paul would say that, see, I wrote this letter with my own hand and, and, and the largeness of my writing. So if indeed Paul had an eye problem, imagine this. If you wear glasses or have struggles with your eyesight, how many know it's pretty correctable? I used to wear glasses, but I had LASIK surgery, and you know, I, I see great now. But before I had LASIK surgery, I had thick old glasses. They may be not that thick, but they were about that thick until they figured out how to do the same thing with thinner stuff. And my eyes were so bad when I woke up in the morning... I couldn't even see the alarm clock. Well, that's not bad with an iPhone. You know, that kind of works today. But back then, I couldn't even see where the snooze button was. And I mean, well, that's a real problem. You put your glasses on. Okay, glasses solved that. Surgery solved it. Imagine if you're Paul, and you're going to preach in different places, and when you go there, they try to kill you. They stone you in that city. Now, isn't it a pretty good idea to be able to see somebody with a rock coming at you far away so you can do this? Or you can do this, which is ever is more appropriate. <laughs> But isn't it a good idea to be able to see somebody coming at you? Imagine if that was his issue and he couldn't see him coming. And rather than leaving the city, the Holy Spirit said, I want you to go back to that city. Imagine how you'd have to depend on God. Imagine how you'd have to trust Him and not your ability to run fast or shoot straight or whatever it is. Listen to what he said after that. He said three times, verse 8, I beg the Lord to take it away. But each time the Lord said, My power works best in weakness. Now look, take scissors and cut that out of the Bible because I don't like that. It's real. Paul said, I take pleasure in my weaknesses and the troubles I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, and that was God's antidote for pride. You can think about that more later. Well, listen, let me close this morning with a scripture, an example. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament? And Joseph was a guy who was literally wildly successful. 
but he always recognized that God was the source of it. Now, Joseph started out with a dream, a destiny on his life. He was going to rule the world, but pride wouldn't let him hold on to that. He communicated it to his brothers. They got mad. They threw him in a pit. But then God began to intervene, and he was sold as a slave to Egypt. But each time in the midst of his slavery, he starts at the bottom, and what does God do? Puts him in the top of Pharaoh's house. And then he goes to jail, and he goes from being in the jail to running the jail. And then he interprets a dream, and Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh brings him in front of him and said, You're the wisest guy I've ever met in my whole life. We're going to have a problem of famine in the days ahead. I want you to take care of running this nation and taking care of it. So a slave becomes vice president of the world. He has a beautiful wife, beautiful children. He has everything, money and education could buy. He's at the top of his game, but then God brings it around full circle. And now his brothers come and stand before him. And listen to what he says and listen and feel the humility. Joseph said, God sent me on ahead to save your lives in an amazing act of deliverance. He set me in place as a father to Pharaoh. What's that mean? God is the one that placed me in this position relative to Pharaoh. God is the one that put me in charge of his personal affairs. And God is the one that was behind him making me ruler of all Egypt. So here this guy, unlike Uzziah, that said, look what I did. Joseph said, at the top of his game, he said, everything I have and everything I've done and everything I'll ever do is because of the goodness of God. And that, friend, is humility. And to be any other way is dumb because God will bring down the proud and he'll lift up the humble. Come on, give him a big hand this morning. He's worthy of our praise. I want you to just bow your head a moment. Pastor Nick is going to play a song, and I think these next few minutes have the tremendous potential for God to do something special in your life. You know, we go to a movie, and when it's over, we walk out, and it lingers, but we forget pretty quickly. But with spiritual things, we want them to take root. So I'm asking you to just bow your head and say, Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me about about pride. Am I depending on you? Am I giving you credit? Am I taking for granted the source of my gas and the source of my food and the source of my dexterity and the source of my intellect and my ability and my, my money? I want to walk in humility. Does Jesus have access to every room in your life? What's he saying? Forever yours, oh Lord.